We've been looking at uh, the book of Colossians for the last number of weeks. We have looked at the first two chapters of Paul's letter to uh, this fledgling church. And what we've seen, as is so often the case in the letters of the New Testament, is that the apostle begins with a full-throated declaration of the gospel. He tells them, uh, number one, who they are apart from Christ, namely condemned sinners. Uh, he tells them um, that what Christ has done for them, namely lived, died, and rose again for sinners. Uh, how they apprehend Christ's accomplishments for them through faith. Uh, how he gives it to them through baptism. We saw that in chapter 2. And who they are now as a result of all of what God has done for them. And that is completely righteous raised from the dead saint saint of the lord and so good news all the way around for the first two chapters once this is firmly established once this is the foundation only then does paul move on to the therefores of the christian life so often uh, preachers preach and christians live in the exact opposite way. Rather than uh, living from the gospel, they try to, quote, live the gospel, or be the gospel, or maintain the gospel. But the pattern of the New Testament, over and over and over again, is just what we read in our text today. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice Paul anchors his if statement, his conditional statement, in the reality of who they already are in Christ. If then you have been raised. Well, have they been raised? Yes. Colossians 2, chapter earlier, says indeed Christians already have been raised. In one of the most glorious passages in Ephesians 1, we're told that we're already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's as if in God's sight we are already uh, raised and perfected in his place. Uh, in this passage, it was in chapter 2 when he was talking about baptism, and he says, in your baptism, you were raised to new life. Uh, so you already are raised with Christ. It is not something you are still trying to attain. You're not trying to get there. You're not trying to rise up your own, on your own strength, your own self. You have it through faith. So then, because you are risen, start living your life like you're risen. That's how Paul structures his argument. Or the way he says it here, seek the things that are above. Seek Christ. So, in one sense, it is true. Um, this world is not your home. This is not our ultimate place that we should be looking for ultimate reality. Uh, and the way he talks about it is he uses the terminology of putting things to death. So he says, since you're raised with Christ, put to death the things that are earthly in you. You want to put 
to death, because you're risen in new life, put to death the things that are earthly in you. After all, the Bible says you have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you live, but Christ who lives in you and the life you live is hidden with Christ. But uh, as much as that's the case, we all know from experience uh, that though this is the reality in heaven, it isn't always the reality for us here. We are constantly plagued with sin. We are, as Luther said, simul justus et peccator, uh, simultaneously sin and sinner. Therefore, on the earthly plane, every day, we are continually seeking to put sin to death in our lives. Listen to verses 5 through 9. Listen to how Paul sort of sets this up here. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What are those earthly things, Paul? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Sexual immorality, this would include pornography or anything that would cause us to lust after someone other than our spouse. Uh, unrestrained passion, impurity, evil desire, desire for anything contrary to the will of God, covetousness, uh, selfishness, or greed, or it could be another way of saying lust in this context here. They're all things that we are to reckon as dead. They no longer rule over us, or they are no longer to rule over us. We put them to death because in the heavenly reality they are already dead and do not have mastery over us. In Christ, you don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to be greedy. You are freed from that nonsense that is so hurtful to you and hurtful to your neighbor. We reckon as dead things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. We do not lie to one another. Why? Because we put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When you're tempted to lose your temper, you don't have to give in. You're freed from that. When you're tempted to talk bad about your friends and neighbors, you don't have to do that. You're freed from that. When you're tempted to talk dirty or lie about someone, well, you don't have to do that either. In Christ, you're free. You are free. And yet, you had to know this was coming. <laughs> we go through a list like that, and if we're honest with ourselves, at the very least internally in our thinking, if not outward displays of life, chances are even just in the last day, we have not put these things to death or reckoned them as dead. Chances are we have at some point or another lost our temper or at least had malicious thoughts toward a person. Uh, perhaps you're someone that uh, struggles with pornography and you gave in. There's any number of things in this list here that if we're honest we go, man, I am... <laughs> yeah, they don't, they're not supposed to rule over me, but sometimes I feel totally enslaved to them. Sometimes I feel I have 
no power to give in. Well, you want to know what really living the crucified life looks like? It looks like admitting that every single day of your life. It looks like admitting that you, in and of yourself, cannot fix yourself. And it's only then, when we come daily to recognize through repentance and faith that in order for us to live, Christ has to be our life. He has to kill us through his law and gospel in order to do anything through us, in order to make us free. It's only then that, yes, these things can be reckoned as dead. And that's a daily process. It's a daily battle. So no matter where you're at, whether you've, uh, whether you have, are just sort of seeing your eyes open for the first time about these things and thinking, oh my gosh, does this, what does this mean if I'm still struggling with this? Um, or you're somebody that recognizes this morning that the first thing every morning and every day needs is repentance and faith. This is a word, it's a good word for all of us to remember that to, to live the crucified life is to live a life of humble dependence upon our Savior. Well, I hope that uh, that encourages you. Next week we'll talk about the positive side of it. Paul says this week it was, it was stuff that you put to death. Next week it's, okay, now that you're living, what do you put on? What are the, what are the things you're going to put on in the new way of living? So we'll talk about that next week. I hope you have a great weekend. God bless you.